0: Today we are beginning a short four-part sermon series titled Messengers of Grace Sharing the Good News. It's a series that focuses on evangelism. Now, we need this series. I need this series. And so may God work in us to remind us of our calling to live as salt and light upon this earth and By the way, that's our sermon series title today. Our passage is a familiar one. It's towards the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Right after the Beatitudes, Jesus says these words to his people, the church. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, then we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that our Lord has given us these words. Right after speaking about persecution, he talks about how we're to be salt and light and help us to not just be convicted of how maybe we fall short, but let us delight in the truth that we're going to study this morning. Help us to see that what you've done for us is glorious and good, and it brings glory to you. pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Think about all the things that happen in your daily life that you just can't wait to tell your friends about. Hey, you're never going to guess who I ran into today, or... Oh, I'm finally taking yoga like you've been suggesting for years. Check out my downward dog. Or my broker put me into this amazing stock, Diamond Hands. It's going to the moon. Did you check out that buzzer beater shot by Steph Curry last night? Or TJ Maxx has a sale on alpaca socks, man. Check these out. Or when I said to my girlfriend, when I got down on one knee, Leslie Lovejoy Schmidt, I love you, and I want to spend the rest of my life with you. Will you marry me? Think about it. There's something inside of us that really enjoys telling others about things that excite us. When we have something that we deem worthy of sharing, we enjoy sharing it. It's like dopamines are going off inside of us. And so this begs the question, why are we so reluctant to share the gospel? The greatest news the world has ever heard, and yet our lips are silent. I like how one of my grace group members this week answered the question. He said, Evangelism is a lot like asking someone on a date. (laughs) You fear being rejected, and you fear the relationship will never be the same. But it need not be that way. See, either the gospel is lacking or we are. And I don't think it's the gospel. The word gospel literally means good news, not bad news, good. The word gospel comes from the Greek word euangelion. It's a compound word, you meaning good, and angelos meaning angel or messenger or news. Together they mean good message, good news. And we got our word gospel from the Old English. The Old English was also a combination of two words, meaning good, and spell meaning news or story. Gospel. It really is good news for us and for the world. And the word evangelism simply means the act of bringing good news. And so in its basic form, evangelism is simply good-newsing people. For the next four weeks, we're looking at evangelism. It'll help us... To develop a Christ like heart for those that we know. It'll help us to pray for and invite people to Christian Explored in March. Today's passage comes from the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' countercultural manifesto for what it looks like to live in his kingdom. And he begins his sermon by the Beatitudes, right? Here's a few of them. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those, here's how he ends it. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. But then right after that, he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of this world. The Lord calls the salt and light. Now, he doesn't say you need to become salt and light. No, he's saying this is who we are. We are salt and light because of what Christ has done for us. So the main point here this morning is simple. Because of who we are, salt and light, let us live out who we are. Let us be salt and light. Now, can you, uh, anybody got an idea on how many main points there are in this sermon this morning? No, there's two, salt and light, <laughs> not three. Man, all right, two points. But usually there's three. I don't know why that is. So first, we are the salt of the earth. The big idea here is this. Just as salt in the old days was a preservative that kept food from spoiling, so too the church prevents culture to 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 fulfill its unchecked moral decay. In Jesus' day, they had no refrigerators. I kind of feel bad for them. I don't know how they did that. Like like when the power goes out on the East End every year, I'm like, oh my God, my my milk's going to get spoiled. You know, it's like we worry so much. Well, in their day, they had salt, and salt has the amazing ability to preserve food. Freshly caught fish or meat, when properly salted, could be stored for months on end without refrigeration. And this is the meaning that Jesus has when he says, you are the salt of the earth. A commentator, RBG Tasker, writes that Jesus is saying that his disciples are to be a moral disinfectant in a world where moral standards are low, constantly changing, or non-existent. But what does this look like? Well, let's first look at Jesus, because think about it. Jesus was salt and light on earth, par excellence, was he not? Jesus exhibited a holy saltiness. First, in a world full of injustice and turning a blind eye, Jesus promoted justice. He often challenged the societal norms and religious practices of his times for being unjust. His parables and teachings, like the parable of the Good Samaritan, emphasized the importance of fairness and compassion, especially for the marginalized and the disenfranchised. Also in a world where only men held stature, Jesus treated women as equal, thereby promoting equality. For instance, in his conversation with a Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus' conversation with her crossed all social norms and barriers. Jesus was promoting equality of the sexes. Jesus also promoted holiness and moral purity, something in which the world in which he came into and our world today lacks. He taught extensively on moral purity, but his approach, his approach was often heart-centered versus being rules-centered. He emphasized purity of heart and humility and a genuine love for others as this was the true um, essence of moral living. Jesus also demonstrated a saltiness on earth as he promoted peacemaking and forgiveness. Oh, that everyone on earth turned the other cheek, right? Right? Oh, that everyone on earth were, were peacemakers who were naturally inclined to forgive. And not just seven times, but seven times 70 times. Can you see how Jesus was the epitome of living out as salt of the earth? And so Jesus' point in the Sermon on the Mount is that his people will live salty lives like him. Not in the bad sense, you know, like he's a salty person, right? No. No. Uh, that we would be fighting for, for equality and justice, for biblical morality and holiness, while at the same time being a people of great compassion and kindness, to be a forgiving people, a loving people, to be those who pray for even our enemies, that we would love them and make peace with them. But please know this, this comes at a cost. They crucified Jesus for his saltiness, did they not? Listen, Jesus knew persecution accompanies saltiness better than anyone. Just as salt upon a wound stings to high heavens, so to God's people, we can sting in a morally decaying world. And it is because salt works in opposition to the moral decay and to corruption on earth that, that the people of God, we can lose our saltiness, Christians can withdraw from their calling to live as salt because of how people respond to us so negatively, which is why Jesus warns against salt losing its saltiness. You know, sodium chloride, salt, is a very stable compound. And so in a sense, salt can really never lose its saltiness. But John Stott helps us to understand how people in Jesus' day could see it as so. He points out how in Jesus' day, the white powder that people called salt contained so many other things: <laughs> impurities. And since sodium chloride was water-soluble, it could wash out. And so salt can lose its saltiness and saltiness, but what you're left with, that powder in your hand, it's white, it looks like salt, but it's really just road dust. So this helps us make sense of Jesus' words. Don't let your saltiness wash away, so to speak. So my friends, uh, James Kessler and Laura, uh, he's the new pastor at North Shore Community Church. He gave me, they visited this summer, and he gave me this mug. I don't know if you, you got eyes to see that, but it says, the ocean made me salty. Now, I think, you know, salty kind of in, you know, Mark's a salty guy. I don't know. I'm not taking offense, <laughs> but... Um, The ocean made me salty. Have you ever spent so much time in the ocean that you get, out, you get out and you sit and the sun dries you and you got like these white flakes on your arm, like you can lick it and you're like, wow, I taste salty. In a similar way, as we soak in Christ, as, as we abide in him and he in us, as we desire to honor him with his life, he changes us. Not from the outside in, but from the inside out. We become like him. We become salt to the earth. So that's a little bit of salt to the earth. Now we're going to look at light of the world, and then we'll spend some time with some application. Remember, it's two main points. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Remember that, right, in John? And he says, we his church... Are the light of the world. How so? Well, first, let's kind of look at natural light. When it's time to go to bed, do you say, please turn on the darkness? No. You rightly say, please turn off the light. See, darkness is the absence of light, but light is not the absence of darkness. Darkness cannot penetrate into light, but light Shines into darkness. And so light is good. It illumines our path. It light makes it easy to see things. It makes things grow. But light, as Jesus speaks of it, has a spiritual component, does it not? Light and darkness are used all the time to speak of existential and spiritual realities. You know, we we describe difficult times in our lives as a a dark season and and in Star Wars movies, you know, Luke Skywalker was warned not to, to give in to the dark side like his father. In our passage, Jesus is using physical light to describe the effects of spiritual light of the gospel upon this world. And so Jesus says, because we are the light of the world, we are to be like a city on a hill, like a lamp on a stand that shines this light into a dark world. I mean, you get the analogy, right? It's, it's not that hard to figure out. When we study the words of Jesus concerning light and darkness, we cannot help but conclude that the world is spiritually dark and in desperate need of the light of the gospel. And so I hope I need to spend too much time proving that. Most people on earth will agree that, yeah, this world is dark. But most people also believe two things, that the world isn't as bad or dark as it seems, and that humanity has the resources to fix it. Every generation since the Enlightenment has thought this way, that though the world has its dark corners, well, mankind has the ability to fix it all one day. We just need to figure it out. But if that's the truth, then humanity truly can fix the world's problems. And then why did God send his son, the light of the world, into this world? John's gospel begins, you know these words, the true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Later in chapter 3, Jesus is speaking with Nicodemus, and he says, and this is the judgment, the light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. What a remarkable reality. The world actually prefers darkness. The last thing fallen human beings want to do is to acknowledge that the problem really is a spiritual problem. There's a darkness in them. It's not just the other people. So the world is dark and mankind, though, we like to think we can create the light we need to overcome the darkness in a sense we're fooling ourselves, which makes Jesus' statement so profound. He says, you, my people, are the light of the world. Think about that. We are here today, all of us, and along with all the church throughout 2,000 years, we are the light of the world. Talk about not-so-obvious point. Much of the world thinks we're the problem. By the way, Tom Holland, a historian, wrote an excellent um, book called Dominion. He, he's not a Christian. He might be now. The whole book, he come, he lists out throughout all history, from the age, um, even before Jesus and on, um, Christianity is the light in this world. You know, we're the ones who created equality between men and women, who abolished slavery, who built hospitals, who cared for the poor, who, you know, and on and on and on. He's got a great uh, podcast, by the way, too. The world doesn't think we're the light. The world prefers darkness. But here's what Jesus means. He says, we are the light of the world because Jesus, the true light, dwells in his people, the church. And as we think of this truth, a question comes to mind. How is this really true, right? Well, it's because what Jesus said in John 8, verse 12 is true. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And then he says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Bless you. The gospel calls people to come to Christ, the light of the world, and find life, find light in him. And when you come to Christ and by faith put your trust in him, he comes to dwell in you. That's the mystery of the gospel that Paul talks about, Christ in you. As the apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 5.8, listen, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Paul is saying that before we came to put our faith in Christ, we weren't just influenced by darkness. We were darkness. But now, by God's grace, we are light. My gosh, we need to think of our salvation this way, right? We tend to think of salvation as, well, Jesus forgave my sins. No. The light of the world is now dwelling in you, in us. Salvation isn't just the forgiveness of the darkness of our sin. It's a new light that changes us and is meant to change the world. And because of this, Paul says, therefore, walk as children of the light. It's our nature now. Let us live out our nature. That, my friends, is how Jesus can say, you are the light of the world. We, the deeply flawed, messed up, people of God who are also dearly loved. We are his church. We are his city on a hill. We're the ones who shine the light of the gospel into this dark world. Can can you lay hold of that truth? Like really let it soak in. Let it make you salty and full of light. And let us take this to heart. We are the light of the world and the world will be blessed by us. There is no other hope for the world right? You get that, right? There is no plan B for God's light coming into the world. It's us, the church, meant to be the light of the world. The church filled with the spirit of Christ is the city on the hill that shines the light of Christ into this world. What a calling. What a reality. Do you understand how spectacularly glorious this is? I mean, we may have doubts, but our Lord doesn't. Jesus sees us this way. And how do you know? Well, Jesus places the light of life in us so that we would shine him before others. He knew it was going to happen. And when we shine as a city on a hill, there is an effect. Look at verse 16. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. As we become more and more transformed and changed by the gospel, As it changes us, God will bear fruit, much fruit, in us, we'll become more like Christ. We will be patient when others normally complain. We will turn the other cheek when others rile up and shake their fists. We will offer grace when others expect a battle. And when we live out our light of Christ in our lives, it has two effects— First, we expose the the darkness around us so that people, they become uncomfortable with us. And second, some people will see the light and desire to have it for themselves. Both of these responses bring glory to our Father in heaven. You know, first, our light exposes the darkness around us. It's it's why some of your friends perhaps never call you anymore to go out for a fun time. They sense something good in you and... They don't like how the how your light exposes their way. Like when a coworker says, "Let's take an extra hour at lunch. The boss is away wink wink." And you say, "I don't think that's a good idea. We need to do the right thing whether he's around or not." And your coworker begins to think you're judging him simply because you walk in the light, not in the dark. As Christians, we cannot escape this reality. This is why evangelism is a lot like asking someone out on a date. You fear rejection, and you fear if they say no, the relationship will never be the same again. And no doubt some of you experience people who reject the light that is in you. And it hurts, you lament the loss of a friend or perhaps even a spouse. That is why Jesus prefaced these words by saying rejoice when others persecute you falsely. But listen, we must continue to let the light of Christ shine out of us. See, though many turn away from the light of Christ, some are drawn towards the light of Christ in you. You know, uh, Norm MacDonald uh, used to tell this joke, feel free to laugh, Go something like this. A moth goes into a podiatrist's office and the podiatrist says, you know, what can I help you with? And the moth goes, doc, my life is a mess. I don't even feel like living anymore. My job is a dead-end job. I don't love my wife. I don't think she loves me. My kids are disobedient. And I wake up each morning just despairing of life. And the doctor goes, wow, I can see your experience in an existential angst, um, You know, you really should see a psychiatrist. How did you come to see me? And and the moth says, oh, that's an easy one. The light was on. (laughs) The light was on. (laughs) Listen, Grace Church, as we live our lives as a city on a hill, the light of Christ, it gives light to us. And we shine this light into the world, and people will come to the light. They will see your good works, and they will give glory to your Father in heaven. Earlier this week, a friend of mine messaged me, says, hey, I'm back in town, I've been gone for a while, uh, there's some big NFL games this weekend, you want to catch one, and I'm like, sure, how about, uh, you know, last night's game, the uh, really frozen game, uh, the Dolphins were, were uh, playing the Chiefs, and my buddy's a former NFL football player, he's kind of fun to watch a game with, you have to ask him, like, in-depth questions and such, and and uh, my youngest daughter made him a nice plate of warm chocolate chip cookies. And, but it should also be known that my friend, I've known him for years now, and um, you know, I've walked with him through some dark times. Uh, for instance, his marriage um, was going through mayhem, and while all of his friends were saying, just divorce that, you know what? I'm like, no, you need to stick it out. Love her as best you can. Um, don't return anger with anger. And this was well over a year, almost daily phone calls. She ended up leaving him, but, you know, he persevered. And so uh, he came last night and we're watching the game and we're catching up and he's just out of the blue. He says, um, you know, Mark, I've, I've started praying and going to church and I I pray every day. And what God has been sharing with me is he's, he's you know, you need to like, Separate yourself from some of the, your friends who are just a bad influence in your life, and you need to spend more time with good people, except for tonight, of course. <laughs> I wasn't surprised to hear his words, and I invited him to Christianity Explored. We'll see. I think our relationship is still, still the same. Living as the light of the world brings, brings people into the light of Christ. And understand this, this is how our Lord has planned it. Now, we can't speak for the rest of the churches around the world, but as for Grace Church, on the east end of Long Island, we cannot, we must not hide this light under a basket. We are to be a city on a hill, in a community where there aren't many hills. <laughs> You know, Jesus points out how silly and foolish it is to light a lamp and then put it under a basket. His hope is that we too would see how silly and foolish it is to have the light of Christ but hide it. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, a community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. You know, this morning, Jesus' words, they, they, I mean, they have to hit home, right? We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. This is who we are. And because Jesus has made us to be salt and light, we are to be salt and light. It's it's as easy as that, and it's as difficult as that, which is why we need Jesus and why we need each other. It's really why the Christian life is all about God's grace operating in us. That is to be the source of power for us to do this, right? To live as salt and light. How do we know that it's really all about God's grace working in us to do this? Well, one, because of operating out of guilty feelings for how bad we are at evangelism, it's just really never a long-term solution, right? And two, Jesus points to God's grace as our power in the last verse, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. When you and I humbly ask God to forgive us for our failings and ask him to powerfully work in us to be salt and light, guess what? He does. And when people come to believe, who do they applaud? You? What great light you are. No. They see you and me, but they give glory to God in heaven. People see the salt and light that must not be our own. They know us too well. (laughs) It's a gift from God in our lives that we can be used by God to bring people into his kingdom. And so, Grace Presbyterian Church, we are the salt of the earth. We are a city on the hill. Because Jesus alone is the true salt of the earth, because Jesus alone is the true light of the world, And because we now have our lives hidden in him and he is in us, we too are the salt of the earth. We too are the light of the world. What an amazing truth, right? It sounds too crazy to be true, but it is. Do you have eyes to see this truth? And will you acknowledge this call and receive it with joy? Jesus, when we think of your lives, we, we think of just how you utterly opened yourself up to all kinds of things, including as you lived as salt and light, great persecution. You were crucified because of your goodness, because of your light in this world. Should we not expect same? Help us to embrace who you've made us to be, and help us to live out who you've called us to be, pray. Amen.